This interview was recorded on Wednesday, November 18th, 2020, one day before UF announced that COVID testing will be required every two weeks in the spring for students taking in-person classes, students living in residence halls, and students in Greek life. You are listening to The Alligator Podcast, a podcast where the independent Florida Alligator, one of the largest student newspapers in the country, discusses our latest stories on the University of Florida, Gainesville, and beyond. Subscribe and tune in weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud to hear our latest episodes on news, sports, and much more. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Alligator, as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Alligator Podcast. My name is Thomas Holton. This is the second and final part of my interview with UF President Kent Fox, and if you haven't listened to part one, make sure you switch over to that episode and listen to it before you continue on with this one. Hope you enjoy. We've been talking about students and student testing, but if a faculty member or a professor were to test positive for COVID and it was traced back to the classroom, would a situation like that prompt any sort of broad changes to how spring courses are run? Or is it more so just focusing on that one specific course and what went wrong there? Yeah, anytime we detect positive COVID, we actually, through the contact tracing process, try to understand how did that person contract COVID? What was their exposure? Was it at a, a family gathering? Was it a party? Was it in, in a lab or class or what was it? And so that, that data, although it's confidential, I, I don't have access to it, it by the health experts is, and Department of Health is, is known. And, and what we would certainly do, our, our health experts, what they would do, if it is in a classroom that they decide that that's likely, you won't know for sure, but likely that COVID was spread, then absolutely we would change what whatever it was that allowed COVID to spread, we would change that. And most likely it's going to be some form of uh, protocols. In most cases, the, proto- the existing protocols are not being followed and therefore we're, we'd have to make sure people are following them. But if it means changing some protocol, we absolutely would do it. I, I would be quite surprised if it meant because of, of a spread that the concept of in-person classes would not be, uh, should not go forward. But certainly a protocol that need to be changed, we, we would absolutely do that because we've got to, we absolutely have to stop the spread of, of COVID. That's the purpose behind this painful process called contact tracing. At least it's very arduous, takes a lot of time, but it's really effective. It really is. And that's why even though we've had, we had as many as 200 cases uh, a day at the peak back in September, that curve dropped dramatically really fast because of the contact tracing. They, they were effective and and quarantining those that were potentially exposed and in prolonged presence of, of a person that was contagious. And it, and it worked, it's just, the curves are amazing how they're great at demonstrating how well contact tracing works in combination with detecting the, you know, the, the person that first has the, has the virus. In the first couple of weeks of spring, do you expect that to be my, my brain is saying the worst. I don't know if that's the right, <laughs> right phrasing, but do you expect that to be the worst, the most backlash, the most pushback on the system in place? And how will you incorporate that feedback early into the spring? And is your priority to keep 
classes open or it will it be to adjust to the spike that will happen that you say will happen at the beginning of the semester well, certainly all all future actions have to be on the table and, and and it's really important that all of us not not just you know the president's office but all of us uh, students faculty staff all of us are, are listening to each other and learning and so i i know from the fall that september was the most challenging month as not all, but most of our students moved to Gainesville and uh, we had the, the COVID that came back, we had the, the community spread of, of COVID. And even though that wasn't, you didn't see a spike nationally or even across the state of Florida, we absolutely had one here in, in the month of, of September. Therefore, since we know right now COVID is increasing it and it's I'm always wrong every time I predict the future associated with, with this virus, but it, it appears that there'll be more spread of the virus in December than now, and therefore likely more spread in January. At, at some point, the, as uh, Dr. Lazardo, who's our lead epidemiologist in all of the tracing and, and contact tracing and, and our battle against COVID locally, as he says, there's the Calvary or is coming or are coming because uh, the, just the vaccine. And it appears that our healthcare workers will begin to get vaccinated maybe as early as next month, uh, December. So at some point, we're going to see a, a decline in the spread of COVID, even though we may not all be vaccinated in, you know, at the beginning of, of the semester, it'll start to decline. But again, as you said, it's likely that it's going to be uh, more spread in January. And we'll have to be flexible, adapt. You know, we, back in September, we, we would find the hot spots. The health experts found the hot spots. They closed down those hot spots. So we had uh, houses in the Greek system that got closed. We had actions that we took around parties. So we, we learned a lot. And, and then we learned also how together to encourage each other to implement best practices. My expectation is we'll do the same. My worry, again, though, is not about spread in the classroom. Spread in the classroom is really important. We have to stop it, not allow it. But the big spread is almost certainly, almost certainly not going to be there. It's going to be in, in social settings. And that's the way it is everywhere so far, at least so far, is social settings. Social settings sometimes are just family members. I, I do believe that January will be really challenging. We've delayed the start of the semester a, a week. I think that will help, but then we'll We'll work hard in January to adjust, to ad adapt, and and doing what they're already doing with isolation and quarantine if, if needed. In regards to moving the start of the, the spring semester forward, or adding a week rather to winter break, that was also a controversy a couple months back. So with no spring break next semester and students fearing burnout, how is UF going to support students' mental health throughout the semester beyond what it's done this semester? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question. So, so Thomas, I'm running for all-time favorite president, popular president. I've gotten rid of homecoming. I've canceled spring break. We're not having in-person graduations. This is a uh, these have been really challenging decisions. And the purpose for the breaks we have, you know, for example, even the one that's coming up around Thanksgiving, uh, and then probably the best example is spring break. The purpose is, is not so much that we uh, just want to have a break. It's because we, we need the refreshment. We need the, the mental renewal time, the, the downtime. 
and it's not just for students, it's for the everybody else because our semesters are so intense here at UF. And, and as you, you said, now that's gone. And so we've traded off the, the mental restoration of a, a spring break for what we fully believe is more important, unfortunately, but more important. Uh, and that's the benefit we get by, by shortening the semester a week. So the semester is a week shorter. That, that's a benefit. And then secondly, we learned this past spring break, we learned this past spring break that, that COVID comes back to campus from not just students, but students, faculty, and staff, they bring it back after spring break. That's when we had our first outbreaks was after our spring break. Um, we had the, one of the earliest spring breaks anywhere in the nation, and, and that's when we got infected with COVID in our community. So the, the university is hypersensitive to this. Our Counseling and Wellness Center is all over this, and we'll be messaging about all of us taking the t- personal time we need during the day, during the week, pacing ourselves, and then being available to the Counseling Wellness Center, as well as the rest of us, the staff, the faculty advisors, and, and others. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's particularly important for students, but even for our faculty, that we restore ourselves so we can uh, get to the end of the, of the semester. The, the, almost the really positive news will be, uh, I hope it's the positive news, is the vaccination that that begins to take place and therefore the stress of COVID beginning to decline. And if that takes place, that will help. It won't assist in the rigor of the academic semester and all the courses and exams. But I, I have seen amongst our faculty enhanced understanding and sensitivity to, to the extra stresses that not only COVID causes, but all of the things that the new ways we've had to, to teach even this semester and in the summer and the spring. And I've, I've been really proud that in most cases, not all, but most cases, our faculty have been incredibly supportive of the students. And the students have been really understanding of if things aren't perfect in terms of timing or, or other issues in terms of the courses, they've been really understanding. So working together as a community has been really helpful. But you are absolutely right. There is now and there will be extra mental stress and strain, in addition to what normally takes place at a university like ours. And it will take extra diligence in in the spring semester because just the real lack of long extended breaks where we can get away, where we can go be with friends or see family. And that just won't exist in, in the spring semester. Going back to what you said about the Counseling and Wellness Center, I don't know if you read, it just came out a couple days ago, but there was an alligator story about, it detailed some of the problems that students have had with the center, with some mentioning long wait times or feelings of being brushed off by counselors. So what do you say to students who are skeptical of the CWC after hearing about negative experiences that their peers may have had? Well, they, they should feel free to reach out to me. And, and I do get messages in the past. I'm not aware of, of this story. I'll, I'll look at it, but they should feel free to reach out to me if, if they're not getting a response. And I'll, I'll ask the, the Counseling Wellness Center to, to connect with them. It is, again, in the context of understanding, uh, the caseload of Counseling Wellness Center was growing dramatically before 
before a year ago and investments were being made, but the caseload is always growing faster than, than the resources. But I'm very willing to do what little I can to help break through, and particularly if it's any bureaucracy. And uh, the, the, the people that I know there care passionately about providing world-class care and support. So, so if there's a, a challenge, we, we, we want to fix it, knowing that there are challenges with respect to scheduling and all of that. But, but if there are ways we can get better and to do it, given what we have in terms of resources, we should do that and we will do that. Like you said, this time is difficult for everyone financially. And on September 29th, the UF Board of Trustees passed an amendment to implement furloughs. And I know you said during the meeting that there's no immediate plans to furlough anyone, but if the university's financial situation worsens, who would be furloughed first? Yeah, so to go back to, to what the trustees um, indeed passed was it, it just gave permission to uh, managers and others across the university to implement a furlough. We didn't have that ability before. And, and a furlough is intended to avoid layoffs. That should be the purpose, at least. A, a layoff is where your job goes away and you don't know if you're getting it back. A, a furlough means you're, you don't have income and you, and you don't work for some fixed number of, of days. And it becomes a tool that a dean or somebody could use. So for example, if, if a college received a, uh, you know, a, a 3% budget cut, they might decide that everyone in the college wouldn't get paid for three days or something. And, and they might protect the lowest paid income employees. So those wouldn't go on furlough, but everybody else uh, would. Those are just some examples of what you would do. And, and you would do it if you believe that the budget cut is not permanent, but, but you don't have the reserves to get through the time. If, if a budget cut is permanent, then you have to permanently adjust your expenditures. And almost all of our expenditures are people at the University of Florida. It's almost all people. Therefore, if our resources go down permanently, if we believe it's down permanently, furloughs aren't going to be helpful. It'll have to be a reduction in how many people we have. Well, we, we've already reduced the number of people we have, and, and we've not done it through layoffs. We've not done it through furloughs. We've done it through a hiring pause. So that just means we don't fill positions when somebody retires or somebody moves on. In, in my office, we've, we've lost two people, and we've not filled those positions in, in my small president's office. And, and that, saves, that saves budget. But it's not a, it's not a permanent fix. It means that when resources come back, because these were important people, one of them, for example, is the receptionist to the president's office. Uh, we, we need a receptionist once the resources come back. You know, there, there's, so again, it, there are no plans to do furloughs. I, I do, as I think almost anyone will tell you, have been, have worked hard to protect, particularly our lowest paid employees. So for example, in the area of housing, even though we gave rebates to students in housing and we had nobody in housing the summer the residence halls on campus. We kept all those, those people. We worked hard to keep their jobs, even though what they were doing, there was no, no students around at, at millions and millions of dollars of, of expense. And so, so that is really important. We actually raised the minimum wage this fall of our employers. It, our minimum wage used to be $10 an hour when I started. It's now $15 an hour for our what we call our teams workers, our employees that are full-time in permanent jobs. And, and we've done that in the midst of taking a budget cut. So, and, and the reason because that, even though that costs a couple million dollars a year, it uh, is it's going to people that, that need it uh, more than, than anyone else. It affects 
you know, hundreds of people, 500 or so people. So the, the furlough will, it's, it's not anything that any of us expect to do, but there are, you know, possible challenges in the future that none of us can foresee that could cause us to take dramatic action. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to avoid that. And that includes layoffs, that includes furloughs, that includes all kinds of things. Um, but but, uh, but we, what I do know is that to achieve the goals we have for the institution, which is to be thought of worldwide as one of you know, the top five best public research universities, we can't shrink our people, we have to grow our people, the employees of the university. And so that means more faculty, that means more other employees are the staff of the institution. So that has to be the goal. But, yeah. but to get there, we know that it, it, we've got to manage through the current financial situation. And, and just to be clear, the only part of, of our finances that are at jeopardy is, is the state part. Philanthropy is as high as it's ever been. The uh, research funding that the faculty are bringing is as high as it's ever been. The, and uh, all of that is, is stable. Uh, more demand, there's you know, lots of students want to come here. So the only part is the state part. And that's why we're working really closely with our state officials. Okay, so we'll just do a couple more because I know you have to get out, get out of here soon. So UF has encouraged its students to stay home after Thanksgiving break this year, just going back to COVID and everything we've talked about. So what's UF's justification for holding a home game versus LSU on December 12th, which could give a lot of students incentive to come back to Gainesville? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, the, the whole question of, you know, having any events um, at any time, such, such as a, a football game, is, you know, can be questioned. And, and many people have, have questioned that, as I'm sure those that are, are following athletics, particularly football, know we uh, didn't want to play LSU at that time. We, we were planning to, to have the, the game this uh, on the Saturday after Thanksgiving and and then play in the SEC championship um, but because of because of rescheduling because of COVID that, that one day that one weekend day that uh, the SEC had set aside had, had to be used so so the, uh, the, the this again is is a, a choice that it, it may for some people be an incentive indeed to come to come back to campus to, to attend the game. And, and if anyone does, I am, I am uh, comfortable with the protocol athletics has put into place. Um, and that is more stringent than many universities. So you have to wear a mask when you're at the game and that's not easy to do that in the midst of a game. And then there's the whole separation uh, with uh, 17, 18,000 at most fans in, in the stands out of, could be 80, 90,000. So I, I actually am confident that students could come back or other fans could come back and, and, and be safe. And, 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 and we will have students that don't leave. Absolutely. We will have, we'll have, we always have students on campus. Some live on campus. Um, international students will be here year round, including the holidays. So, so it's not like everyone has to leave, uh, but we did set up the calendar so that, and we've encouraged faculty to have the semester be one in which they, the students could, if they wanted to, uh, not, not have to come back after Thanksgiving. Um, and, and I expect most will. And, and indeed, that, as, as you said, that's to encourage people to be safe and to limit the exposure 
But if you do come to campus, if you do go to a football game, please follow the protocols. And if, if that's the case, then I, I personally feel safe and I believe others will be as well. Just one more. Realistically, what will success look like in this spring semester and what will failure look like? Okay. Well, I, I have this dream, which it, it's not the same thing as success. Uh, I'll, I'll, def I'll define success in a moment. But, but my dream would be that by the time we get to final exams in, in April, that we will be safe enough so that we can have large in-person gatherings. And if that's the case, then my dream is that we'll have graduation ceremonies, in-person graduation ceremonies, not virtual, that will, I, I, I wanna have a celebration just to celebrate the end of COVID. I'd love to have uh, no classes for a day. Uh, and if I can't do that, maybe a Saturday and, and we celebrate the end of COVID. So I'm looking forward to that celebration. I may be optimistic because we, we know it's going to take a while for everyone to, to be tested or not tested, but to be vaccinated. But that would be my dream that we declare at the end of the spring semester, COVID is defeated and we're celebrating, graduating, all, everything else. Uh, for, for me, success in the spring semester, the real success is we complete the semester and we teach as many successfully, we teach successfully as many credits as we would in any spring semester. We did that last spring semester. We're doing it this fall. We're actually teaching more credits this fall than we've ever taught uh, in terms of students and, and classes and the credits in, in those classes, that the faculty are able to be to succeed in, in their scholarship to get, get what they need to get done there. And then we have all kinds of clinical and outreach programs and we're able to, to do those successfully through the spring semester. And then lastly, that we have as little as possible spread of COVID amongst our community and, the, and, and as little as possible of, of the after effects of, of COVID. We, we know that no matter where people are, there's going to be, even if they're not in Gainesville, there's going to be spread of COVID. But if we can do the hard work of our healthcare workers and tracing and testing and our, my behavior and everyone else's behavior, reduce that spread as much as possible. And, and it is, and, and, and if we are a place where there may be COVID everywhere else, but if we're limiting that spread on campus and in, in our interactions off campus, then it will be for me a successful semester. But I'm looking forward to that light at the end of the tunnel where I can celebrate without a mask on. And then what will failure look like? So failure, it, it, th this is such a, a university that there's, there's no chance, no chance that, that failure in, in, a, in a global sense is, is going to occur. But, but failure certainly would be one where, where we would have to end the semester. And we didn't even do that uh, b before uh, students finished their classes. Uh, and we didn't even do that back in the spring before we understood COVID, when we went into a lockdown, uh, we didn't even do that. So, so failure is not online versus in person. It's it's not it's not eradicating or or, or it's it's not having uh, COVID. Failure would be that we can't 
do what's fundamental to our mission, which is teaching and scholarship, and then all the ways that we touch the community through extension, through clinical practices, et cetera. If we, can't, if we don't do those, if, we're, if we have to stop doing those things, then we're not accomplishing the mission. And if we're not accomplishing our mission, that's failure. And a lot of lives would be impacted. You know, the students wouldn't get their credits. They wouldn't graduate. The research funding wouldn't, wouldn't occur. And, and a lot of jobs would be lost. I think the chances of that happening, unless I something I don't understand uh, so far, that nobody understands so far about COVID and, and vaccines, the odds of that happening are almost zero, almost zero. Is there um, a successful scenario with faculty and student with a, a larger outbreak or potentially deaths? Is that a part of any successful, what you would consider a success? Uh, it, it, you know, any deaths or, or any uh, employee or student having uh, enduring after effects of COVID, that, that, that's tragedy, uh, that is. And, um, and uh, certainly that is occurring in, in the broad population. And uh, therefore, it is, it's, it's a possibility. Uh, we have 80,000 people that are part of the UF community, more than 80,000, more than 30,000 employees and more than 50,000 students. And, and when you have a population like that, we should know that even if we all stayed in our own homes, there's a possibility of, of, of permanent effects from this virus or, or other, other things um, and, and a possibility of deaths. And so, so we should be prepared for that not and and pray that it doesn't happen but be prepared um it and, and and that occurs in such a community all the time uh and and COVID adds adds to it um so if 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 those things occur if if someone or multiple people uh die from COVID, then certainly we will we will it we we, we know that COVID progresses and so you know the cases way before they get hospitalized and, and so you have time, so we have to adjust, we have to adapt. But we should also be prepared uh, to mourn with, with people that, that e e even if e just going to the hospital, I, I think is, is serious and, and we should be supportive. Um, but as a community, we should not uh, believe that, that we're immune from what we're seeing in, in the outside of Gainesville, outside of our community. And outside of our community, uh, even though the success of treatment is much better than it was six months ago. And even though we understand how to prevent even catching the virus, we, we know that all those bad things are occurring and we're not immune from that. Thank you very much, President Fox. I think that's all the time we have. Thank um, you, Thomas. I hope it's not too depressing of a podcast <laughs> talking about COVID. Okay. <laughs> Let's do another one. Uh, what, what year are you? I'm a, I'm a junior. Okay, so let's do one next year, and we won't talk about COVID. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, okay. We'll talk I'll... about our national championship in football or Nobel Prize or, or something. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to do. I, I wanted to talk about that as well today, but you know, there's there's yeah. some more important stuff. Yeah, yeah. I and, and this is this is important, and I, I appreciate you you taking the time and. Uh, 
And it's the world we live in. It's the life I'm living. It's the life you're living. Um, and, um, you know, as, as I, I gave a State of the University address back in the spring, excuse me, the fall, and challenged us to have a, these unreasonable expectations of having the best year ever. And it may be when we look back, it doesn't feel like it now, but it may be when we look back a couple of years, three years, four years, that we'll say, yep, that was, that was a really good year. That was one of the best years. Um, I, I, I just, as I mentioned, I just finished my alligator column and I, 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 I share a story of a student who's graduating uh, in a few weeks and about how just the challenges the student has faced, but, but where he is today. So uh, that, there are, there are really amazing stories and encouragement. And I think for all of us, I, I wish that all of us a few years from now will look back and say, you know, some good came out of, out of all of that. So. so this has been the news section of the podcast. I've been your host, Thomas Holton. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas underscore underscore Holton. We appreciate everyone for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Alligator Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on Twitter at The Alligator, as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org.